When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast can be heard on the Farm and Rural Ag Network, along with lots of other great agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs. I am breaking one of my cardinal rules today, that rule being that as a middle-aged white guy, to never voice a public opinion on issues of gender equality. My guests today are Jen Christie and Adrian Ivey. Jen is from a dairy farm in Bruce County and currently lives in Ottawa, is the Director of Business Development for 4-H Canada, and is the Chair of the Ag Women's Network. Jen, welcome. Thanks, Wendell. Adrian is a beef farmer who, along with her husband, Aaron, operate Evergreen Cattle Company. Adrian's blog, View from the Ranch, shares life on a Saskatchewan beef farm. Adrian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wendell. And it's View from the Ranch Porch. What did I say? View from the Ranch Farm? You just said View from the Ranch. All right. Well, thank you for coming on my podcast and immediately correcting me right off the bat. <laughs> You're very okay. welcome. It may not be the first, or the, it may not be the last time today. No. Okay. So I, I have to be completely honest. I'm slightly intimidated having two fairly well-known and fairly powerful women on the podcast. I saw something on Twitter this morning that was a little bit disconcerting for me. It was a picture of a fence that a bull had tried to jump over, and the bull made it over, but his testicles didn't. Oh, I saw that picture too. <laughs> yeah, so did I. <laughs> For the record, I'm hoping that's not how this conversation goes. I don't think will it will. I think, I think you're safe. Okay. Well, let's let's do some background stuff first. Adrian, uh, maybe start. Tell, it, tell us a little bit about what you do in Saskatchewan. Sure, sounds great. Um, so we ranch here in East Central Saskatchewan in a near a tiny little town called Ituna. Uh, we run just over a thousand cow-calf pairs and um, also keep our calves and run them as yearling grassers the following year uh, and own them usually right until finish, right up till finish. Oh, okay. So you have your own feedlot as well. We do have our own feedlot. Currently, we're only using it to background after we wean our own calves before they go back out on grass. We're getting them custom finished at another feedlot for their last little bit of uh, finishing after they've been grazed all summer. Cool. Are they black cattle? They are a bit bit of a mix. They're black and red, but all pretty strong Angus-based cows. And then we cross them with uh, just a little bit of Hereford genetics as well, just because we really like, we keep all of our own breeding stock heifers and we just really like that cross in our, in our replacement heifers. So a little bit of, a little bit of white faces in there too. Awesome. And so that's you and, and your husband, Aaron, and tell people how come I know your husband's name is Aaron. <laughs> well, as we were setting up our Skype conversation today, and I gave you our Skype, my Skype address, and you're like, I'm sorry, but that takes me to Aaron Ivy, not Adrian Ivy. And I'm like, yes, well, sometimes when yeah. other people set up your computer for you, you get to Skype under your husband's name, just like it's like the technological era of 1950. Okay, you don't have, <laughs> you don't have joint Facebook accounts, do you? 
<laughs> we, we do not. Okay. He is old enough school. He doesn't even have a Facebook account, and he doesn't oh. even creep on my Facebook account. But we do have separate Twitter accounts. Okay. Because sometimes on my <laughs> podcast, I like to say outrageous things about my wife just to see if she listens. <laughs> for, for the record? But for the record, she doesn't? She doesn't, no. No. <laughs> okay, and then, let's see, iTuna, did you guys do a thing to get a new hockey arena? Why does that name sound so familiar to me? Yeah, that's pretty exciting that you know that. So yeah, Ituna was part of the Craft Hockey Bill competition last year, and we were able to work really hard as a community and had a lot of support from across Canada and managed to earn ourselves a hundred grand towards the new arena we're trying to build out here. I think Adrian uh, did I a lot of the work for that. <laughs> I, I did I did a good chunk of the work. It was a good team effort for sure. I will say it's, it's definitely a good team effort. There were a lot of great people working behind it. I just sometimes tend to have the biggest mouth on any <laughs> given team. Okay. <laughs> It's possible that you're you are the only person I know from Ituna, Saskatchewan. Then <laughs> that is a very real possibility. Right. I've been to Saskatchewan. I went in January. Don't ask me why I would choose to go in January, but my GPS worked and and it hadn't snowed there for probably four or five days. Yet my GPS took me down some roads that were literally two sets of tire tracks in the snow. <laughs> oh yes, you do not trust. Do not trust Google Maps in Saskatchewan. It is not a safe way to go. It will lead you down interesting yet dangerous paths all the time. Right. Okay. But I also need to do my second correction of the podcast, and that Ontarians like to say Saskatchewan, and oh. it's just it's Saskatchewan. It's Saskatchewan. <laughs> okay. So uh, for anybody that's got the over-under on how many times Adrian's going to correct Wendell, we're up to two now. <laughs> All right. Good. Uh, Jen, tell us a little bit about, you've actually been a guest on the Ontario iCast before. We talked about Women's Ag Network and different things. You have a new job now. Yeah, I think every time I've been on the podcast, I've had a different job. <laughs> oh, you've, oh, you've been on a couple times. Yeah. 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 I liked the last one we did at the bar. That was right. That was That was a good one. So yeah, I am moving to Ottawa and I just started about a month ago back at 4-H Canada and I'm the director of business development. So doing, I'm looking after our alumni relations and some of our industry relations as well as fundraising and, and individual giving. Very different role. Yeah. So in Ottawa, like what part of Ottawa do you live? Are you in the trendy sort of downtown area? Well, so I'm in the process of moving, but I am moving to the trendy downtown area. Yep. It's not quite as hipster as some of the neighborhoods I've stayed in, but it is downtown and I'm going to live in an apartment building for the first time in my life and be in a downtown, which I, I don't think you can count Coal Road on in Guelph as downtown. So this will be a big first for me. Because <laughs> you, you come from about as far from downtown as you can get a dairy farm in Bruce County. Yeah, and I don't think the town of Tara is a whole lot bigger than Ituna, Adrian. (laughs) Um, Although I have been to some pretty small Saskatchewan towns that have pretty big names on the map, and they're not very big towns either. (laughs) True. Adrian, do you feel ganged up at all by Ontario folks now? Not not at all. We can take it. We're ready to go. 
And I can say Saskatchewan correctly. (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) Right. Okay. And so then you will be working on lots of new programs for 4-H, yeah? Yes and no. Um, So we launched a program for alumni a couple years ago um, called Club 1913. So I'll be managing that and that's a program to reconnect with our alumni across Canada and we'll be rolling out some things for that. And then I'm taking over our retail store and managing that as well as a number of other things. So so there will definitely be some new programming. It's a lot of a lot of communications and uh, fundraising, which is definitely a new thing for me to be doing, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm a 4-H alumni and I'm very passionate about the 4-H program. So I'm really excited to be uh, on the team and we have a super team and looking forward to being able to meet more alumni across Canada. I'm also a 4-H alumni and now I'm a 4-H mom and this morning, I'm drinking my coffee out of a 4-H mug in honor of Jen. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> uh, I get asked to donate to different 4-H programs sometimes. Does that count? Yes. That's awesome. All right. Okay. 4-H, not just for kids anymore. <laughs> but 4-H isn't the topic of this podcast. No. No. We better... I can't put it off really anymore. So this all sort of started... Uh, Jen, you spoke at a conference for Chatelaine called The Big Dish. That's right. Right. Okay. I have no idea what that means, but that that's okay. And then somebody at the conference tweeted you, quoted you, I think. If I'm remembering the, the tweet correctly, I think it said, agriculture is run largely by middle-aged, balding white men. <laughs> that's not entirely correct. <laughs> But but you're 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 close. You've got okay. the gist of it. So do you want me to, to talk about the conference? Yeah, tell us sort of how you end up speaking at a Chatelaine conference. What was the the point? And well, set set it up for us. Okay, so yeah, last well, almost two weekends ago, I guess, uh, Chatelaine hosted a one day event for women in food, and they wanted to have everyone from farmers. Uh, right through the the chain to chefs, foodies, food writers, restaurant owners, to be there in the room to have a conversation about food. So I was contacted in the summer and asked if I'd want to be a part of this. Uh, it consisted of a couple panels throughout the day, a couple keynote speakers, some networking time, some awesome food. We had three, almost three meals provided for us. So one of the panels was broads working in a bros world. The Chatelaine manager who contacted me, uh, she actually grew up on a farm in Lambton County, a dairy farm even. She also did 4-H. She either knew about me through Twitter or or one of the, the members of the Chatelaine team followed me on Twitter. And so when they were talking about this panel, they said, somebody said, you need to reach out to Jen Christie and ask her to be a part of this. So when I got the email, um, I didn't even read the entire email and reply back and said, yes, absolutely, I want to be a part of this. I mean, what a great opportunity for mm-hmm. us in agriculture, right, to be, yeah. in, to be A, doing an event with Chatelaine, uh, and B, be in this room with all these, all these women interested in, in food. So I 
eagerly participated and we there was a number of women uh, from Ontario Agriculture who went as well. We had a couple free tickets that we gave away on the Ag Women's Network and uh, a couple of my friends who are super awesome also bought tickets and came to, to be part of the event and it was an awesome day. There weren't a lot of farmers in the room besides the, the ones that we besides our group. Um, most of the room was probably made up of uh, food writers, people who owned food businesses, a lot of different people, I would say, kind of down closer to the consumer, right? People running social enterprises that have to do with food, those kinds of those kind of folks. So there was about 300 people there. And uh, our panel was about women working in male-dominated fields. And I would say that it was skewed a little bit towards uh, the, the kitchen and, and chefs, um, to be honest, which is funny because none of us on the panel actually were chefs anymore. But that was that was kind of the, the direction that the moderator took on a lot of the questions. So so we you know we brought it back to our our industries and what we did. And the panel was recorded on Facebook Live and and it's still out there. So people can actually go watch it if you if you wish. But the the question was around specifically about chefs or initially, but um, the actual question was what role do men in leadership play to make some of these changes? So up until this point we talked a lot about, you know, the dynamics of working in a workplace that is is mostly male dominated and um, what that, you know, what that means, maybe some of the adversity that people had faced. Again, the kitchen, the professional kitchen was always the context of this, which I think not coming from that part or that industry, I think it is so crazy that when there was such a there was such a rush to leave the kitchen during you know the second wave of feminism to like go to the workplace and a big part of this conversation was about how do we get more women in the kitchen as professional chefs. But <laughs> anyway, it just that seems there's so much irony in that to me. Um, <laughs> so. And I learned a lot through this because I didn't I didn't realize that there is that much of a uh, imbalance in gender within professional kitchens and I guess the bullying that takes place. So I learned a lot in that regard. So this led up to this question, and and so um, Ivy answered it. I encourage people to watch the video and see Ivy's and hear what Ivy had to say. She was talking about conferences and events where chefs are being featured and, you know, food events where there's panels and how there's all these great chefs. And when these events happen, often it ends up being a panel full of men, despite the fact that all these men know great, great women chefs, it would be very easy for them to reach out and ask for these women to participate or to tell, you know, the panel, the organizer, you know, why don't you contact this woman or this woman or this woman? Because they're also super great. Mm -hmm. So that was her response. And so I just built on that and said, most of the leadership positions in agriculture, in 80 to 100% of our organizations, the leadership is old, white, gray-haired men. (laughs) <laughs> and so absolutely those men play a role and they need to be encouraging women to get involved. They need to be making asks and women in the industry also need to encourage each other to get involved. And I used the example that Kristen Hardin shared last year at Advancing Women in Calgary that she always has three names ready when she gets asked to be involved in something and she can't so that she can recommend three other women to ask. So that was the full answer. 
140 characters is not enough to share all of that, obviously. And so what got tweeted was, you know, a shortened version of that, uh, which led to where we are today. <laughs> so some of the responses to that, and, and at this point, I was still following my rule of not giving any kind of opinion. You know, people said things like, if women want to be involved in boards, all they need to do is step up. There's opportunities for them. A journalist out in Western Canada actually took it upon himself to write an article specifically responding to this this need. And my guess is that he's not a bad guy and that he meant this to be objective and raise some discussion. Didn't come across that good. And that's where I'm going to turn to you, Adrian. Tell us what you thought when you read that article. Well, I, I think the thing is, he, first he started with a tweet. And again, it's very difficult to get a whole conversation into one, one tweet. And this tweet was really about what women need to do this instead of what they're doing in this kind of context. I didn't really like the tweet, but at the same time, I didn't reply to that or engage with that just because I didn't think that a big public spat over Twitter would really do anybody, women, men, anybody really any good. Twitter's hard for those kinds of things. So I kind of sat on it and I thought about it and had some discussions at home with my husband about our thoughts on it and stuff like that. But it didn't really leave my, my brain very much. And then he went on and wrote a whole article expanding on that opinion in not just a public area, but a mainstream newspaper here in Saskatchewan. And that kind of irked me that I was like, oh, I was trying to not, you know, put this in the public space. But he took that not just publicly, but to mainstream. I just thought that's really not the portrayal that women need or agriculture needs to the general public. So that's what sparked me to write my blog on it as a response. It really was just about, you know, we have so much to learn from you, don't get me wrong, but here's actually what it looks like in my experience to be a woman in agriculture. Here are some of the real issues that I've struggled with and moments that will live with me forever that you have no concept of, that no man would, and that's no fault of theirs. That's wonderful that, they, that none of you have to deal with some of these things, but just try to come from a place of trying to understand rather than talking down to us and telling us what we need to do, because that feels a little patronizing. And Twitter seems to share your opinion. That, that got picked up, and it's <laughs> been pretty widely debated. You both have been called some names. There's been different opinions from, from women on your side, from men taking an opposing view, women taking an opposing view. It's been, been, been hotly contested. There are some questions that I think are, are valid. I mean, the points that I think he maybe wanted to make, it'd be nice if we do get to a day where nobody talks about being a woman on a board or being a woman farmer, but just being a board member or farmer, but we're maybe not there yet. I don't think we're there yet. I think the stories people are sharing illustrate that. And I think the, the thing that is important to remember is that everybody has different experiences. So, I mean, it's not, it's not just, it's not just men. I mean, there's lots of women who've not, you know, encountered barriers or faced sexism themselves. And that's awesome. I think that's, that's a testament to how, how much progress we've made. I think it's also just a testament of our industry. Women have been 
played such critical roles on farms since we broke the land, right, and settled. So I think there is a very deep respect for the role that women play on farms and in agriculture. And I think that runs through our industry. And when I read articles about what's happening in other sectors and I hear these stories and, you know, I I, I hear the other panelists talk about when she was literally thrown on the ground and choked by the head chef in front of her staff. I'm, I'm grateful and thankful that we, most of us are not encountering those situations. And I think what, what we are dealing with is a more subtle form of sexism that, that goes unseen. I absolutely agree with what Jen just said. The thing about this whole conversation has been about different experiences. And, and it's not just one way or the other. It's a whole spectrum of what people have dealt with or not dealt with in, throughout their lives. And I shared some very specific examples of, of what has happened to me, whether it was being groped in my office or having my career impeded for taking maternity leave. Just simple things like that, that, that lots of women haven't had to deal with, and that's fantastic. But I would definitely say that the absolute eye-opener of this for me, I was really scared to publish this post. And not only because I was responding to something that a very powerful person had put out there, but even just sharing those personal experiences and having mm-hmm. people judge me for them, I was terrified of that. But it has been absolutely overwhelming not from the women's side, they've been fantastic, but the response from men has been absolutely mind-blowing to me. Uh, A lot of them, it came as a surprise to them that these kinds of things are still happening. I've had many messages saying that my post changed their mind on this topic, and I think more than anything, it just, as it did in my own house, started conversations that hadn't been happening before. So I'm so glad that I, that I did push publish, and I'm so glad that my husband encouraged me to. He saw the need for it as well, even though I was, I was being a little bit, I was just really concerned about the backlash. So I'm, I'm really glad that I, that I did it. But uh, the, the response has been so positive from all sides. I'm going to go back to one thing that, that you said, that there was a lot of, men that said that they were surprised that they didn't realize that this was still going on. I would suggest that that's maybe a a bit naive to say, like, we all know that this kind of thing still exists. My question is, like, I don't think that I'm part of the problem, but would I know if I was? I I think that sometimes it's a matter of having strong women around you because if you do have strong women around you, then you'll know very quickly if you are part of the problem. Um, <laughs> My wife tells me I'm part of the problem all the time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> part of many problems, but yeah, I don't know yeah, if you're part of the specific <laughs> problem. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a very old school husband. Our life is structured quite traditionally. I am more of the household manager. He is more of the overall farm manager, even though there's a lot of blurring and, and nothing is set in stone. But I would also say very clearly that he is not part of the problem. If he does inch towards that direction, I will be the first person to call him out on it or just explaining to him what that actually 
means or what the implications of what he's saying are or something like that. So I think sometimes it's just listening to the women in your lives and understanding from their perspective and just that wanting to understand. That's something that we're, I'm seeing now that even 10, 15 years ago, I didn't feel that. So I've got two teenage daughters at home. Sorry, one is 20 now. So 20 and, and 16. And maybe that's changed my perspective on it a, a little bit. But something that struck me as part of a conversation I was having with someone, when we talk about being taken advantage of or being in a position where you feel unsafe, I don't ever feel unsafe. As a man, there's not a situation that I'm in. If I'm you know, walking alone at night, if I'm going from a bar to my car, I never feel unsafe. And I think that's part of why it's maybe hard for me to understand some of this. I would agree with that. I think, and I think that's where some, some people are, are feeling maybe like they're being attacked um, because they think that this is about men in the egg industry, but this is everywhere. This is our society. And this is what it's, this is what it means to be a woman in our society today. And you're spot on, Wendell. I mean, you don't you don't have to worry about those things. And we just live our lives and it's so commonplace and so normal to us that we've figured out how to adapt and manage those those threats and, and that that fear and to live live without it. Now, some people are bold enough to to stand up to it. I think we probably, I, well, I'm not, I don't want to speak for all women, um, but I know there's times, and I haven't even been brave enough to share some of my stories. Um, so, I mean, for Adrian to put those out there, that was pretty, I mean, that, that really hit me. I, I've had those times, and I, I don't think I even realized how commonplace it was until this conversation started there are there are times that I've felt that way. And, you know, you, you have to make a decision of, am I going to make a big deal out of this? Or am I going to, um, am I going to, you know, let it pass and, and get myself out of this situation in the least uh, dis- disruptive way so that I can carry on with, with my job and my, my life and not be the, the shit disturber. Right. And I have to say, in my own day-to-day experience, I don't feel like this is as much of an issue. In my job, you know, the senior management team here at Wallenstein is very gender balanced. I think that as an organization, it's something that we do a pretty good job of. I think a lot of companies that put a lot of emphasis on culture, building good cultures, care about this topic. And they're very much linked. And building good corporate culture is a very hard thing to do. So, you know, in some ways, I, I almost wonder if this this topic of women in ag, like it seems, it seems the last few years, it's been really cool to to do things like this, have conferences and have events, and talk about building an inclusive culture. And really, that's because we want to have great corporate cultures because we want people to stick with us and work in our companies. But building culture is hard, right? And it takes a, a big commitment from leadership to instill those those values right down through the company, whether we're talking gender equality or or whatever. And culture is important, Jen. That's a that's a word that people use pretty freely these days. But culture doesn't mean anything if if you don't really live it and implement it. Somebody made the comment to me in in the states. 
maternity leave is not nearly as accessible as it is here in Canada. And someone made the, the case that, you know, I can't imagine taking a year out of my career and staying home with a baby and not being, you know, a woman. I, I've never had to stop and think about taking a year out, but it's hard for the company to do. But I think it's one of those things that's that's really important. And if you look at the long-term benefits, if someone's career is going to be 40 years, one year is not, I mean, it's like it should be doable. Yeah, I think in my experience as a woman who has taken mat leave uh, a couple of times now, uh, when I was still working in corporate agriculture, it's definitely not an easy thing for either the person taking the maternity leave or the company. I mean, we all recognize how hard it is to for them to fill a one-year position, especially the more advanced of a position that it is. But at the same time, then if you once you allow for that, then all of a sudden you have more women returning to the workforce. You're likely to get those women back contributing to the culture of your of your corporation or, or whatever it is. And also they're much more fulfilled and happy to be there. So it's one of those things that that is not great in the moment sometimes, but just for, for momentum for either the person taking or the company giving. But in the end, uh, I think all of the stats show that it's a pretty fantastic thing. And we're very blessed in Canada to have a system that allows for that. So corporate culture is one of those things that is constantly evolving. And sometimes it's the change in corporate culture that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean, change is always uncomfortable, right? And I think I think that's what a lot of this conversation has has forced us to to recognize is that you know this is this is an uncomfortable topic. It, it it's uncomfortable for women. We you know those of us who maybe haven't experienced some of these barriers are forced to kind of look back at our careers and see you know have we benefited because of some of these situations. And I think I think that particularly is why this is so uncomfortable for a lot of men. A lot of men have done a lot to support and encourage and, um, you know, sponsor women to move up in organizations. Um, but we don't always recognize that maybe we got where we were because of some of these systemic barriers and things that exist either within our companies or our associations. And so, you know, that's that's an uncomfortable place to be when we're, you know, looking at that and, and have to ask ourselves, okay, so what change, What what do we need to do to change this and make it better? And uh, that's, it's like when I learned to snowboard, it was really hard for me to master the, the, the turn on my left side. And, and it's the same thing, right? It's really hard to get past that and around that corner. But once we get around it, I think we're going to be so much stronger as an industry. And uh, when, we, when we talk about all these jobs that exist for young people in agriculture and how big the opportunity is, I mean, we want to make sure that we're, we as an industry are, are ready for the not only do we attract people to those jobs, but then we retain and keep them in the industry. And that's, that's really, I think, what ultimately everybody in this conversation wants to get to, right? We want a strong, vibrant agriculture industry that, that people want to work in and want to stay in. Everyone I meet, whether they grew up on a farm or not, they're passionate about agriculture and they love this industry. And I, I want that to continue. And I want even more people to come to it and love it. Yeah, I th- to add to what Jen said, it's a topic that, because it's so uncomfortable to talk about, and you don't want to offend anybody as you're talking about it, but it's also one that is very easy 
to have miscommunication get in the way of. And sometimes when we're talking about these things, what you're saying is different than what people hear sometimes, but that is no reason to shy away from these conversations. Mm -hmm. I think that if anything, this week, what we've seen is that the more times you can have conversations like these, the better understanding as a whole people walk away from, like for the person that I'm talking to as well as for myself. And that's how you find ways to make, I mean, a pretty good situation, really. It's 2017 that we're talking about in Canada. We're all blessed to be living here in these times. It's a pretty good situation, but we have the opportunity now to make it even better. Yeah, exactly. And I think we saw that, like, in, in a lot of conversations, you know, you had Adrian and some of the conversations that I, I think I saw Kim Keller was in, you know, there was this kind of, like, unpeeling of the onion. And and they, it seems rare these days that we have those kind of conversations on Twitter, right? People, like, fire out their thoughts and then just leave it out there and that's it. Um, and I, I think mm-hmm. it was really encouraging to see some of those, some of those back and forth and see people you know, learning and understanding each other's perspectives. Okay, this is all very nice and very polite and very Canadian, the conversation (laughs) that we're having. It hasn't all been quite so nice and pleasant. I think you're going to get that with any difficult topic. Agriculture is a very diverse industry, and there are a lot of diverse opinions and a lot of strongly held opinions. And when you put things out in the universe, sometimes... Sometimes you don't get the answer that you would like to hear back, but at the same time, it all comes from somebody's truth. So it's important to take in what you can and acknowledge it, and, and some of it is, is just internet clutter that you just have to let go. And for, for everyone, it's personal in one way or another. I think that's, like Adrian said, it's, it's, everyone has their truth and their story, and you know what, frankly, some of those stories make, you know, my, some of my stories make me angry. And I, I have that right to be angry. So, yeah, is it personal for me? Yes. And does that piss me off? Yes. And I think, you know, I have a right to have some of that anger. And when I think about the article that was written in the newspaper and by us talking about some of these issues um, and having women-based events, in doing so, the term victim mentality was used. And you're right, it's very hard to take the emotion out of that because that makes me see red. Me sharing these experiences does not mean that I'm taking a victim mentality stance. It does not mean that I'm looking for anyone's sympathy or empathy even. There's been a few articles about this recently. People don't seem to like angry women. So, you know, that in itself, I think, makes some people uncomfortable. But why, you know, why do I need to sugarcoat my story or why do I need to choose my words carefully to get, I I understand you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar, but I also have a right to be pissed off about, you know, some of the shit that, that has happened to me personally. And I shouldn't have to deal with that. And other women shouldn't have to either. So does that fire me up a little bit and make me, make me want to have this con- these conversations? Absolutely. Well, isn't that maybe part of the problem? If the issues are sugar-coated all the time, maybe we don't realize how much of an issue that it is. Definitely. I mean, definitely, I think that that's an issue, right? 
one of my examples is one of my last team meetings. Our dinner was at a restaurant. And at the time I thought, this is whatever, you know what? I'm buddies with these guys. I'll, yeah, I'll go along. I don't want to be the Debbie Downer. And once I got there, I, it was, it was, no, it was very, very uncomfortable for me and very much. I did not want to be there. And I, I regret now that I didn't, I didn't put my foot down and say no, but our manager was there, right? He asked me, is this okay? No, of course it's not okay. But why are you even asking me that, right? This, this should be a non-starter. You know, you don't, you don't, in a corporate environment, you don't take your team to a restaurant where the women are wearing bras and panties to serve your food. Like that's just not acceptable in 2017, but that's the reality. So, um, you know, I don't, it didn't make a big deal of it, but once, once we were there, I was like, yeah, this isn't cool. And, and I think, I think the other thing is, is you, we've lived with this for so long. We talked a bit about this, but like, once you see it around you, it's really hard to unsee it. So, you know, what Mm -hmm. I brushed off five or 10 years ago, I can't brush off today because I know that whether I'm being hurt, maybe I'm not personally being hurt about with this, but someone is, or it's leading to something or, you know, I've heard enough stories now that I can't, I can't let it continue and not say something. And I think that's, you know, what can each of us do personally that those are the things we can do. You, You speak up and you, you, you call things out when you see them because half the time, we're, we're just not aware that, that it's, that these are issues or problems. That's and to build on that, Jen, I think that, I, I think that of my post, the most important feedback that I received from it was from the number of men that replied to me saying, I had no idea that this kind of stuff still happened. I had no idea that it was still this big of a deal. I really didn't know. Thank you for, bringing this to light or changing my mind or showing me the other side. And I think that even, even us in the thick of it, sometimes, again, just like you said, we're so used to it. It's, it's been our lives. We, we only know our own experiences. So it just seems a little bit normal for us. Probably in that moment when you were asked, oh, is it okay if we go to this restaurant? Are you cool with that? You probably were more concerned about being that woman that we're all so scared of being in saying no, rather than actually thinking about, about what it is going to feel like in the moment to be sitting in that restaurant. Cause, cause I mean, I've been there, I've had very similar situations and me, for me, even putting out the blog post, the fear of being that woman was so real. I didn't want to be the whiner or the complainer or that woman and uh and it's something we need to get past and i think that that's the great part about being where i am in my stage of life right now and where i hope to help other women or other people get to in being in a confident enough frame of mind to be able to think for a second well will that bother me yeah probably is this inappropriate well yeah but uh how do we move on from here just the realization that it's possible for everyone to to help create change. We've already said several times, right, that this isn't just our industry and this is like we're not we're not we're not painting the industry in a in a light that no. makes it negative. It, yeah. This is this is happening everywhere and if anything I I still do think that this happens less in agriculture. 
I think there's a lot of respect yeah. for the work that women do in this industry. And, um, yeah, exactly. Well, thanks guys. I, I appreciate both of your perspectives. I respect both of you, uh, very much. I think that I made it through this conversation mostly unscathed without saying too many stupid things. So there's that. <laughs> People can correct me online, I guess. I I think it's commendable that you want to have the conversation and that you're, you know, you're willing to to ask those questions and that's ultimately I think what we I don't I don't I don't think we actually intentionally set out, out to accomplish anything here. Um it all just mm-hmm. kind of happened, but that's you know that's that's what we want absolutely yeah thanks for taking a few minutes and and chatting adrian thank you thank you for having us thanks jen thank you wendell this has been the ontario agcast please go back to twitter give us a retweet give us a rating on itunes it helps us grow the audience don't forget to check out the farm and rural ag network farmruralag.com if this is the last podcast we ever do it's been fun if not we'll see you next time